And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. Today's guest is Marco Della Valle. While Marco was in the emergency room, he communicated with two angels who helped save his life. And now we're going to learn about it. Marco, thank you so much for joining us and welcome. Hey, Jeff. Thanks so much for having me. All right, Marco. As you know, my audience loves to hear about near-death experiences. So if you don't mind, can we start on the day yours happened? Yes, absolutely. So uh, for me, it was actually, I can remember the exact date. It was July 4th, 2012. And I always joke with everybody that it was my not-so-independence day. Um, I was, it was before I was doing readings full-time, I was actually working um, in television. I was running a television station here in Australia. And I was doing psychic readings just part-time, just um, whenever I had a free moment. And there was an event where somebody had actually asked me if I wouldn't mind coming and, um, and doing a whole series of readings at a fair. It's not normally what I would do, but um, my friends who actually were running the event were really short that weekend of readers. And they said, we really, really, really need you. And I said, okay, I'll come and do it. And I was in the middle of the day and there was a woman I could see in my peripheral vision that was lining up to actually have a reading. And for some strange reason, uh, I just instinctively felt I didn't want to read for this lady. It had nothing to do with her. It was just this feeling that I had that I, I really shouldn't read for her. I just felt like something bad was going to happen. But, you know, I'm not going to turn somebody away for a reading. So she sat down and we started her reading and she was lovely. But about halfway through her reading, I could feel it was a really unusual feeling. It was like someone reached over and pulled like a plug out of my stomach and it was just above my navel. And, and although I looked like I was sitting straight and I wasn't moving on the outside. On the inside, I just felt like I was shaking. I felt like my whole soul was rattling. It was a really, really unusual experience. But I did finish off her reading and I finished off that day. And I ended up coming home that afternoon. And I remember just feeling this um, unusual sensation of just this dull ache. My whole body was just aching. So like we all do, we just ignore it. We just suck it up and we move forward. Um, And then so the following day, I ended up going back to work. And my staff had said to me that day that I looked really grey. They said about my colouring. I said, yeah, I don't feel particularly well. I just have this really strange feeling. Um, And I said, you know what, I might call it an early day. And I never, back in those days, I'd never take a day off work. I would never dream of leaving early. But I decided to... um, I decided to come home and I thought, I'll go for a run. It's just a cold. I'll sweat it out because back in those days I was particularly fit. So I went for a run around a river nearby where I live and I got halfway around the river and I just thought I can't run anymore. I just felt really, really exhausted. And then I started walking because I just didn't have the puff to keep going. And then by the time I was coming back to the car park, I literally had to get my brain to think about stepping my legs forward to even step. I was struggling to actually get one foot in front of the other. And it wasn't so much so that I um, I physically couldn't do it. It was like my brain couldn't get my legs to do it. So I finally got to the car, was able to get myself home. And then within hours, I was in the emergency room at the hospital. So uh, fast forward to that evening, um, they had done a whole heap of tests and they had found that I had advanced stages of swine flu. Um, And that was in a period where swine flu was quite big in Australia and people were dying, um, particularly in my state of Queensland. Um, And so 
um, I was I was in the emergency room and they were wanting to actually put me into an induced coma. They said, look, it's really quite advanced. Uh, we don't believe that you can actually survive this one. Uh, we think that you'll probably have about 12 hours to live. And they had forecasts that, um, that I would die um, the following evening, uh, the following morning. And, um, and they actually had handed me the paperwork um, to harvest my organs because they said, if you'd be okay with it, we would like to, we'd like to harvest out your organs after you pass. <laughs> and so I'm sort of laying there thinking this can't be for real, but, but indeed it was. And, and I was at a point where I now couldn't use my body, so I couldn't lift my arms and I couldn't, I couldn't walk. I was completely bedridden because I was, I was basically so sick. And... They had um, an oxygen mask on me. They actually had the BiPAP machine. So it isn't just the normal um, um, oxygen apparatus. It's the big BiPAP machine that actually breathes for you. And my saturated oxygen levels had dropped below 90. So, you know, you you need um, saturated oxygen levels to be up in the 90s. Um, Mine was drifting down around 85%. So basically I was suffocating and even with the machine on. And so they were convinced that I was going to die and they and they kept urging me to allow them to put me into this induced coma. And it was at that point where I'm laying in the hospital and I could see at the foot of my bed a, a big blue light in front of me and beside that was a big green light. And I could hear these voices telepathically in my mind and they had told me that there were archangels that had come to help me. And the blue one identified himself as Archangel Michael and the green one had identified himself as Archangel Raphael. And they had basically said that they were here to help me get through this process to make sure that I don't cross the veil. And what was very interesting to me was it was at that point that I could see, like, for as far as the eye could see, I could see dead people everywhere. I could see spirit all around the room. And it was almost like bleachers in a, in a football field where you just have a stadium. It was like there was just everywhere I could see was heads of people that had passed over, but I didn't recognise any of the people. So I had sort of said to my brother as best as I could, don't let them put me into a coma because I couldn't really communicate very well at this point. And... Um, and he was actually with on the doctor's side and said, I think you should let them do what they need to do. It's your only chance of survival. But I had said to him, well, there's two angels at the foot of my bed telling me not to do it. And um, anyway, the doctor didn't like that, <laughs> as a lot of people in the medical professional probably wouldn't, which I understand. Um, and these angels then had told me what it was that I needed to do in order to stay alive. So... And they explained to me, again, all telepathically, that I needed to visualise because my body was no longer working. My lungs had collapsed. Um, um, my internal organs had collapsed. I was actually coughing up blood because um, um, I was so far advanced um, where my organs had already collapsed. Um, I could only use my mind. And so these two angels actually said to me, we need you to visualise yourself getting better. And I actually asked, I said, well, how do I do that? So... They said to me, we want you to visualise the monitor behind your head, which was actually showing the oxygen levels. And they said, visualise yourself at 97%. And at this point, I was now dipping into the low 80s and nothing was working. So for about five minutes, I laid there and I just visualised that number in my mind, just over and over and over, I kept visualising it. And as I was doing that, they said to me, imagine 
imagine that you can see your oxygen actually increasing and filling through your whole body. So I did that. And after about three minutes, it slowly started to come up. And then 10 minutes in, I was literally nearly at 96%. And then I was back up to 97% after that. So that worked. And so I thought, okay, there might be something in this. So they then asked for a nurse to actually put an IV into my right arm because they wanted to give me antibiotics, which they had said at that point in time, we don't think it's really going to work. We think that you're too far advanced, but we've got to do the right thing and we're going to try and put these antibiotics into your system to fight this infection. And so the nurse had tried, but seven attempts and she could not get the needle in. Uh, there was no chance that this needle was going in because my veins weren't pumped. You know, it was very hard for her to get the artery or get the vein rather. And so one of the angels, and it was actually Archangel Raphael, it was a green angel, had actually said to me, we want you to visualise your vein plumping up. And it's like visualise blood pumping through your arm, through your vein so that she can get the needle in. And she actually apologised to me. This is the nurse. She apologised to me because she said, Marco, I don't think I'm going to be able to get this in and I don't think we're going to be able to provide the IV. So I then said to her, well, what are we going to do as best as I could speak? And she said, I'm going to give it one more shot, but if I can't get it in, we're not going to be able to get it in. So it was at that point where in my mind I visualised a rush of blood through my right arm. I visualised my vein plumping up. And all I can remember is her saying to me, we've got it. And so she actually got it in. So from there I was kind of stable for a little bit. Um, and But the doctor still wanted to put me into this coma mm. and, um, and to which these angels were saying to me, if you go into the coma, you'll die. Do not let them put you into a coma. So um, they decided to then transport me up to the um, intensive care unit, which was, um, which was two floors up, I remember. And they said, the angels again said to me, they said, you're going to be okay. And they showed me the number four, which I didn't make sense to me at the time. Um, and for whatever reason, um, they kept saying to me that um, there was going to be a change around six o'clock that night. And I thought, that's really strange. I don't know what that means. And so... I remember them wheeling me into the intensive care unit and I could remember them yelling out my name. They're saying, oh, we've got um, this patient that couldn't pronounce my surname. They said, it's like Marco Della something or other. And I remember a nurse yelling out and said, yes, he'll be in room four, wheeling him in there. I thought, okay, that's interesting. So I went into there and then there was actually a, a, um, the, another doctor that came in and he said, we're about to do our staff change. We'll have a new doctor in to see you soon. I said, okay, no worries. Um, and so I waited for that. And then the new doctor came in and he introduced himself. He said, hello. He said, um, I'm Dr. Michael. And I said, um, hi, how are you? And anyway, and he said, I believe that you do not wish to be um, put into an induced coma. I said, that's correct. He said, well, if you work with me over the next few hours, I'll make sure that, you know, that that happens for you. I said, okay. So um, it was funny because then the nurse came to join him and on her badge, on her name tag, she had RAF, R-A-P-H. And I mm-hmm. thought, gee, we've got Michael and RAF. So, <laughs> so it was at that point I thought, okay, I, I might be okay now. So fast forward through the night, I was in a lot of pain, but I did do what they were telling me to do. And I still had these blue and green lights sitting around me. And they kept showing me colours 
and, and like Colours of the Rainbow, which was really, really unusual to me. I didn't know why. And um, and I thought, I don't know why I keep seeing these colours, but I kept seeing these colours. And anyway, it was it went on for a few days where I just kept seeing colours around me. And I had found out later on, my sister was in Europe. She was actually in Prague at the time. And unbeknownst to me, my brother-in-law had called her and told her that I was in the hospital um, and was about to die. And I found out that what she had been doing, she had been meditating with her friend and visualising wrapping rainbow energy around me from Prague. So mm-hmm. she just, she said every day she would visualise that I was being healed by rainbows. Mm-hmm. And so, so that went on. Um, and then on that fourth day, I was then told that I was actually going to survive and I did survive. And after that, I didn't see the angels after that. The, the colours had gone, they had moved away. But I'm, I was totally at their mercy and if it wasn't for those guys, I would have passed away. Now, what was interesting is over that same um, month in the state that I live in, in Queensland, there was three other people relatively the same age um, that all had swine flu as well and they actually all passed away. And the commonality in that was they were all put into induced comas and I was the only one that actually wasn't. So I'm very grateful for that. Um, And ever since, I always listen to the angels because I I totally credit them for actually saving me that night because I know that they were were ready to let me go. Thank you for sharing that story. You're very welcome. Yeah, man. Wow. I mean, you, you were a lucky guy. Yeah, it was, it was a bit of a close call <laughs> and it did take, it did take quite a few years to, to sort of come back properly after that in terms of health. I didn't get my fitness back for quite some time, but, mm-hmm. but it sent me on a different journey, you know. It was, it was from there that I totally changed my life because I was already working with spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't until then that I really, really did move into my life purpose because at that point I was living a crazy life. You know, I was working um, ridiculously long hours in, in the television industry, which a lot of people in everyday life, they're always working um, crazy hours, um, you know, and I probably wasn't putting family first and I probably wasn't putting myself first. And and they really, really showed me a different way from there because I then started to, to work with them also. I actually decided to do angel readings after that point in time. So they really, really came in at the perfect time, I say. Do you think there's any significance with the woman that you didn't read and your condition? I don't, I don't think that there was anything um, to do with her personally. I think she was just my, my anchor point. I just knew that something was going to happen when I saw her in my periphery that day. I don't, I don't believe that there was anything that she did or anything about her energy. I just believe that it was just um, at that point of that day that she was my reference point that something was going to go wrong, and it did. Hmm. Instinctively, I knew. Since you've been out of the hospital until now, have you had any more communication with the archangels? Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I actually um, work with them in my readings more so now. I actually ask them to help me um, with my reads. Um, I actually do see them not so much in the colour form anymore. I see them more so um in an energetic form, so more of an opaque shape um, um, when they come forward to me. Um, but I actually rely on them for everything. So I use them as my guides, basically, to for everything. And it's funny because I'm always talking to them, especially Raphael. I don't know why I favour him over Michael, but I just do. Um, and and since working with them, which I know a lot of my people, a lot of my family think I'm crazy. My mother, I remember back when she was still alive, she used to say to me. Don't tell anybody about this," she said, "because they will think that you're crazy." <laughs> but 
But I just find now um, the way that they not make life easy for me, but the way that they've shaped my life and the way that they've been able to direct me has helped me immensely. And I say to anybody that's going through a hard time or anybody that's in a in a pivotal point in their life where they, they need to make a change is to reach out to your angels, ask them for signs, ask them to, to show you something because I believe that they're always there to help us. We just need to actually sing out. After you got out of the hospital and you recovered, were you confident that what you experienced was real or did you have self-doubt and then at some point something happened and you said, oh, this really was real? I was always very confident that it was real. A lot of people around me, even my brother, did not. They they did believe that I was hallucinating. And I know that on the medical records in the hospital, they actually say that I was hallucinating. Um, especially, it wasn't at the time with the angels, though. When I was seeing all the dead people around me, um, there was a lot of doubt in a hospital, as you can imagine. And even my brother said to me, mate, I don't think that you should be telling them this because they're going to have you committed if you survive this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the thing is, I could I could see for as far as the eye could see all these dead people and I knew that I wasn't hallucinating because um, the way that they were speaking to me, the things that they were saying to me um, made perfect sense um, at the time. I did consider at the time that it was possible that I was hallucinating, but there was nothing else that I was hallucinating about. I wasn't seeing... Um, weird other weird things I wasn't seeing spiders crawling up a wall or anything like that where a lot of people do when they're actually having an episode Um, that was the only thing so and and particularly when the angels did come in and they told me exactly what I needed to do well I can't imagine that my own mind did that to me so I'm 100% confident that I, I knew what was happening even in the process of it happening when you saw the dead people did they look like light bodies or translucent people or just like people like you and me, but maybe grayish walking around or something? That's a great question, um, Jeff. They look like you and I, um, and they just looked a little bit fainter, so a little bit more opaque. The thing that um, I was very interested in and the thing that I questioned more so after that experience was why I didn't see certain family members. Like I didn't see my my grandmother or um, my mother in particular. I was very, very close to my mother, and she passed when I was only 22, and I didn't see her. And in more recent years, people would say to me, why do you think you didn't see your mother? Do you think she wasn't there for you? And I actually think that if I had seen my mother or if I'd seen my grandparents or friends that had passed over, I would have went to them. I would have gone in that direction. And I believe that I probably would have crossed over if I'd been able to see them. So I'm pretty confident she would have been hiding, so I didn't see her. Hmm. So, um, But, yeah, they look very, very real to me. Now, when you were like on the bleachers, I think, and you could see as far as you could see, where were they? Like in a white room or just out it, in nature? It, it wasn't. It, it was in the room that I was in. So it was in that hospital room that I was in um, that I could see them. It, it, there was white light around them, but it was it was almost like where the only way that I could describe it is um, – like the room was packed. There was nothing. I couldn't really see anything behind them because there, there were just so many of them. And they were telling me about there was people crossing over. Um, you know, someone had said to me, my brother has just died. I'm on my way to go get him. It was really strange. It was almost like they were helping souls cross over. Um, 
but I just thought you're not helping me cross over that day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but it was like they had a job to do. Uh, it wasn't like they were just sitting there dormant. Uh, it was like that they were working in some fashion, trying to assist souls that were coming across. Yeah, it sounds like they were exactly what you're saying. Maybe they were existing souls and they happened to catch you and say, oh, well, I think we can save this guy. Let's tell him what to do. Well, I definitely think the angels intervened on that one. They weren't ready for me to go. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't ready to go. I was not ready to go. <laughs> now, since you saw Archangel Michael and Raphael, do you have a religious background? Are you I Catholic? don't. I am Catholic. I am christened a Catholic, but never been a practicing one. Certainly um, haven't gone to church on Sundays for a very, very, very long time. Um, no, not at all. I um I did have a little bit of an interest in my earlier days when I was um, doing a little bit of psychic development for myself. I used to do some courses with Doreen Virtue. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Doreen there at all, Jeff, but um, I only did a little bit with her and that was my only real reference to angels. So Mm. outside of that, um, there is absolutely no religious background for me whatsoever. All right. So you've been doing psychic readings even before this event happened. How did you become a psychic in the first place? Well, I think I was always intuitive, and I think we—I think all of us are always intuitive. We just got to tap in to work out what our strongest ability is. Um, but I was—I was—I was working, um, obviously, at the television network, um, and people would say things to me, and I would just know. I always had this inner knowing when things were going to happen or things weren't right. Um, or if, particularly in business, which was a handy thing to me, I could always tell when someone was lying to me. <laughs> so it was always very handy. But um, but I always just knew things. And then from there I decided there must be something to this because um, a lot of other people around me, particularly even back to when I was at school, I would always just know little things and, and kids around me didn't seem to have that inner knowing. So I always knew that I was a little bit different, whereas I thought we were all the same. Um, I thought that everyone... Um, new things about people that were unsaid. So I decided to just develop it a little bit. And that's probably where I did do my first sort of course with Doreen Virtue and and just doing some little psychic courses to help develop my clairvoyance and my clairaudience and my clairsentience. Um, so, so I started to develop those. And, and I remember it was actually my sister um, who said to me, I know a lady that really, really, really needs a reading. Can you read for her? And I said, no. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm not interested in doing readings. I'm not, you know, I don't want to be known as a crazy person. Mm-hmm. I won't be doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I hung up the phone and the next minute I knew about 10 minutes later, here she is knocking on my front door with the woman and said, here, she really, really needs a reading. So, you know, I'm not going to turn somebody away. Mm-hmm. Um, and she came in and I did the reading for her. And it was funny because um, I remember she didn't have any dead people, but I did say to her, there's a dog here. And I said, and I, I can feel the energy of her dog and I've described her dog. And I said, and this dog is telling me, you know, you, you, you've just broken up with a boyfriend and you've lost a whole heap of money and there was another couple of things there that I won't disclose. Um, and she just looked at me and she said, that is correct. And I remember thinking, how is a dog telling me this? Mm-hmm. So I did that for her. And then um, she told two people who then asked me for readings the following week. And I said, I'm not, I don't work as a psychic. I'm not doing readings. And they mm-hmm. said, oh, please, we would really, really like for you to help us out. So I did. And then that turned into four people the following week and it just went from there. So, mm-hmm. so I just built from those people. Do your brother and sister have any psychic ability? 
My brother doesn't, um, um, uh, and he and he still struggles with the concept a little bit because, mm-hmm. again, we didn't grow up that way. He always thought that I was a little bit different, mm-hmm. um, but no, um, that he doesn't. My sister does, but my sister works um, in the spiritual field, but not as a psychic. So she's a um, Heal Your Life practitioner. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Louise Hay Heal Your Life program. But she's a Louise Hay um, Heal Your Life practitioner, and she's an Aurosoma consultant as well. So she does Aurosoma readings and she does Aurosoma massage. So that was why she was actually in Prague at the time when I actually uh, did go into hospital. She was um, traveling Europe teaching um, mm. her spirituality. Can you give us an example of one psychic reading that was the most astonishing for you and maybe even shook you to your core? Yes, and it wasn't one that was a scheduled reading. So it was back when I was still working for the television network and we were we were taking um, 30, I remember it was 36 clients. We were taking them on a junket down to Sydney for a weekend and um, I was on a plane, uh, we got on the plane and I wasn't seated with the rest of um, all of my clients I was travelling with. I was actually seated at the front of the plane, which never usually happens. I always was seated with with, with all my guests, but, but I was at the front and beside me was a lady who I'd not met before, and um, I sat down beside her and um, she was deaf. She actually didn't have the ability to hear. So she was sort of mouthing words to me and and was speaking very loud, as, as a lot of deaf people will do so. Um, and um, anyway, the plane took off and it was, it was very unusual. I could feel the presence of a spirit sort of coming towards me on a plane. I didn't see her, but I could just feel her. And, um, and, as, and as we were actually in the air, um, this uh, spirit, I guess you could say, told me that the woman sitting beside me was her sister and that her sister was not aware that she had passed yet. And um, and she just advised me that she was 15. She told me that she was 15 years of age and that um, her sister is a non-believer, so don't tell her that she was there. And I thought, what a strange bit of detail to, to tell somebody. Um, and so anyway, I sort of, struck up a bit of a conversation with the with the, the lady who wasn't able to hear properly and she was able to read my lips so she just said to me if you talk slowly i can read your lips and um and i asked her just generic questions what are you going to sydney for you know how long will you be there and and then she actually very openly had just said that she was going down to see her dad that um that she always made the effort to go see her dad every year because um, um she was now the only child because her sister went missing many years ago I thought, mm. oh, sister's missing. Okay. So then it was at that point where the girl in spirit said to me, um, um, she, what'd she say? She said to me, she showed me the number 11, actually. She didn't say it. She showed me the number 11. So I knew that the woman beside me was going to connect with the number 11. And then she showed me um, that she was actually murdered. She showed me that she didn't die of natural causes, that she was actually murdered. Mm. So I actually said to the woman, what... Um, what um, do you plan on doing with your dad while you're in Sydney? And she said, oh, well, she said it'll be um, my birthday while we're down there, so we're going to celebrate my birthday. She said it's on the 11th. I thought, oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. So um, so anyway, um, the meals came and obviously we couldn't communicate so easily because the little woman would have had to have read my lips. So so the meals came and I actually just got out my, my notepad and pen because uh, I always travel with one. And I just started writing notes. I just started to channel the girl in spirit. So, again, she showed me that she was 15. She showed me that she was blonde. Uh, She showed me that um, she um, was murdered by her boyfriend 
um, and that um, there was a white ute. She showed me this white ute. It was very, very detailed. Um, she showed me um, the boyfriend that had very dark hair, who's ethnic looking, and he had his hair slicked back like someone that would use brill cream. Um, I could actually see his fingernails. She actually showed me clairvoyantly's fingernails. I could see that they were dirty. And then um, I could see that he had been a mechanic, but she had showed me military. So I knew that he was a mechanic of sorts that had worked in the military also. Um, she showed me that there was somebody else with her and she showed me that there was a note that was written, which none of it made sense, of course, because this girl was missing, but there was a note. I thought, okay, that doesn't make sense. But I wrote down note. Um, and so I had, after the meals had finished, I turned back to the woman and I had said to her, um, you know, after all these years, you know, of your sister being missing, had you ever thought to contact maybe a psychic or a medium to just get a bit of insight as to maybe what had possibly happened? And she said, oh, no, no, no. Don't, we don't believe in that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, that's fine. And I'm thinking I'm not going to say anything. Mm-hmm. But she said to me, she said, you know, we've had, um, um, we've had this idea that she might still be alive. She said, but we're not 100% sure. And I said, oh, well, why do you think that? And she said, well, there was a note that was sent. Um, and I said, oh, really? I said, um, a, a note that was sent from her. And she said, yeah. She said, but it was very strange. She said it was in her handwriting. She said, but this, the spelling was purposely uh, well, not purposely, it was misspelt. And she said, which was really strange, she said, my sister was very good at spelling and she said she wouldn't have misspelt words. She said it was almost like a, a sign to us. Now, in that note that I had wrote down where the spirit was actually showing me the note, I had written down all right, I am all right. But it wasn't spelled A-L-R-I-G-H-T, it was A-L-L space W-R-I-T-E. Mm-hmm. And so I said to her, um, is there something about all, was she all right? And she said, it's funny that you say that to me. She said, because she misspelled all right. So I knew I definitely had her sister in spirit. Mm. So to cut a very long story short, I actually didn't tell the woman that um, I had had her sister in spirit because she wasn't a believer and it wasn't my place. She didn't ask for a reading, so I wasn't going to give her one. Mm-hmm. So she um, she went about her business. She got off the plane. I went off the plane. And um, and then two days later, I returned home. And as I was leaning over to turn the, the lamp off in my in my bedroom, I could see this young girl sitting standing in my doorway of my bedroom. And it was one of those really eerie nights, Jeff, you know, where I had the windows open. It was windy. You know, the, the curtains are blowing. It was a little bit creepy, um, just like in the movies. And, uh, and, it, and so anyway, um, I actually looked at her and I said, well, what was the point of that? There was, you know, what was the reason for you to come through? You know, I couldn't get a message to your sister. That didn't make sense to me. And she just said to me, turn your computer on. And back then I always slept with my laptop beside me because I was always working. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said, turn your computer on. And she said, um, Google me. And I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but I did turn my computer on and I thought, I'm going to search for this car. And so I thought, I'm going to search to see if Holt, because I knew it was a Holden. And so I wanted to see if Holden made some sort of ute in 1960, I think it was a 1962 model ute. Um, um, and I knew it was white, and I could see how the pictures looked. And I Googled it, and nothing came up under a vintage website or anything like that. And I thought, okay, well, I am going crazy. But she kept pointing at the laptop, and and I just needed to look down. And as I looked down, I could see that the first um, the first um, uh, search in that engine was for a Gumtree link. So I'm not sure if you guys have Gumtree in the States. I think it's probably like Craigslist where you can sell things online. Okay. Uh, 
it, yeah. Uh, and so it was a Gumtree search. And so I, um, I clicked on it. And here was this 1962 White Holden Ute um, that was for sale. And coincidentally, coincidentally, um, it was for sale in the same neighbourhood that she had been um, kidnapped or went missing from all those years ago because she had actually been missing for over 30 years at this point in time. Mm. Um, and so anyway, I looked at her and I said to her, this isn't just a you. I said, this is the you you're kidnapped in, isn't it? And she said, yes. And so basically I was able to, to get all that information and I took it to the police station, um, not here in town for where I live, but to the police station in the area of where she lived, which was on the other side of the, down the other end of the country. And um, I thought they're going to think that I'm crazy, um, but I'm going to send it because, you know, she made all this effort to come through to me. So a police officer actually did come back to me, uh, which doesn't happen a lot. Mm-hmm. And they actually said, how were you able to get that information really? And I said, well, I really did channel it. And they said to me, well, it actually fits a, a, a lot of pieces of a puzzle that we've already been working on for this case that we already had. And at that point, it was a closed case um, because it was a cold case. Um, so they had closed it. But they had said, you've actually been able to detail quite a lot of stuff that we actually haven't released to anybody in the public. And so they were able to use that information and to actually reopen the case. So that was just amazing that sh- this girl had come through from spirit when I wasn't even trying to do a reading, to actually try and get them to actually work on her case to find her killer. Wow, it's amazing. Did, yeah, they ever, was, did they ever find the killer? Unfortunately, he had actually passed away. So, yeah. um, so by the time they had found who actually did own that vehicle at the time of her, of her passing, or of her um, disappearance, I guess we should say, um, he had actually already passed. Do spirits just come to you at random times quite often, like on the plane? I have learned to shut it down, um, Jeff, because I find um, if I do open myself up to it, it drains me too much because it makes me tired as well working with them. But in big circumstances like that where, you know, there is a cold case and someone's trying to be found or or they're wanting um, some sort of justice brought, yes, they will make themselves known. But they've got to be pretty loud in order to do so. Hmm. Um, but I always say... Um, so I'll say to them, if you if you are going to be persistent and you do want me to communicate or connect with you, keep showing me signs. So because I, once I do a reading at the end of the day, I'm just going to turn off and, and just go back to my normal day. But um, but I always say to people, spirit are always showing a sign. So if you're actually looking for someone or if you're wanting communication, you need to look out for the signs yourselves. So what does the average person do? Just speak out loud and say something like, hey, if, if you're my spirit and you're here, show me a sign? Or um, I don't think that they have to say it out loud. You can, but um, they work with us telepathically. They can, they can read our thoughts or they can hear our thoughts and, um, and they pick up on our emotions and our feelings. So I always say just do it in your head. Um, you know, I know um, a lot of times when I'm doing readings for people and I will actually – I did one actually – Two days ago, it was just on um, Friday, um, where I actually had said to somebody, um, um, I've got your father here, and, it, and indeed he was there. And I said, and he's actually telling me that um, you were in bed the other night. And I said, I can see the picture of you laying in bed. And I actually said to him, he was he's showing me that in your mind, you actually asked him to help you with, your, with his car. And she laughed. She said, yes. Yeah. She said, I'm trying to get my dad's car fixed. And she said, and he was a mechanic. And she said, I actually asked him if he would help me get this fixed. So, and she did it in her mind. And he actually heard it and was able to validate it by bringing back the message through to her. Did your experience change you personally in any way? Oh, yes. 
Absolutely. It changed my whole life because at the point before getting sick, I, um, like I said, I worked all the time. Um, um, I was, um, I had no life outside of work basically. And I, um, I, I was burning myself out at every point that I possibly could. So after that, I had to slow down, obviously. Um, but it, it gave me time to sit and just be because that's one thing that I've never done. And I say it to people all the time now. It's really important to sit. Even when you're busy, you know, in, in you find five minutes to just try and sit and be because I ended up leaving that whole career. And my whole life was all about working in TV up until that point. And it was funny because when I was able to sit and reflect and look back, I could see that it was a very false life. It wasn't really very deep whatsoever. Um, my connections with people were very surface level. You know, um, people only sort of wanted to be friends with me because of what I could possibly provide for them. So I, I was able to, to, to take stock of that and really work out who I was important to and who was important to me. And it was at that point too, Jeff, where I probably didn't want to face the fact that I was gay. And that probably gave me time to settle and be more comfortable with it as well. So mm. it was during that process that I came out to everybody. It wasn't just to one person or or not. I actually came out to everybody around me and 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 and, and have had a very fulfilled life with my partner, um, with all my family and friends. And I haven't felt like I had to hide anything after that either. So it totally reshaped my whole life. Now when you're meeting people on a yes. social level or a romantic level, trying to meet a new partner, how yeah. is it telling them that you are a psychic? Is that is that a <laughs> difficult problem or what? Very. <laughs> Absolutely. It's very, it's, yeah, it's very challenging. And it was funny because um, with my partner, um, he he is a complete science brain, so he loves everything science. I think if he could um, go to the States and work for NASA, it would be his absolute dream. Um, and so he needs to be able to see it, test it, prove it. And so I had to tell him, when I told him what I did for a living and, and what my beliefs are, it was, it was a hard day because um, I had to say to him, look, I, I know that you do not believe in this, but um, this is what I do and, and, and this is what I believe. And and he was great, but not everyone um, takes it so well. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but unfortunately for me, he just lets me be. He doesn't challenge it. He just he just he accepts what I do. Um, he doesn't actually believe what I do, but he just accepts it. So you've never showed him anything that would make him change his belief and go, wow, you really are psychic. I did, um, but um, still his analytical brain wants to kick in too much, which I understand. So it was actually fairly recent. He was buying a property. And um, and anyway, um, he's, everything had gone through. The, the loan had gone through. Um, everything had gone through. And um, he was pretty confident about it. And I was getting ready for work one day. And he was here uh, with me in the morning. And he just said, what is this all about? And I said, well, what part? And he said, well, what are these cards? And I, it was actually my Oracle deck that I created. And um, mm. I said, well, I use them in my reading sometimes. I said, it helps give people a bit more clear um, direction or a bit of clarity and some stuff. And he goes, but does it really work? And I said, well, I wouldn't have made it if it didn't work. And he said, well, give me, give me an example. And I said, all right. I said, well, what do you want to ask? He said, nothing. He said, just give me an example. I said, all right. You know, tough customer. Mm. So I, I just shuffled my deck and I pulled out um, a card and it was um, a commitment card. And on the commitment card that I have written, it's a contract, it's a picture of a contract. And I tuned into the card. I said, okay. I said, this is to do with a contract for your house. And I said, 
there's going to be a problem. He said, no, he said, it's all gone through. I said, there's going to be a problem. I said, and it's going to be today. He said, well, it's Saturday. He said, there's, you know, he said, no one operates on a Saturday. He said, it's fine. I said, okay, I'll let it go. I said, but I'm going to tell you, I said, there's a problem with the contract. I said, it's going to take a few days to fix it. I said, it will sort out okay. I said, but it is to do with the finance. And he just said, well, I, I can't imagine how, but all right, I'll let it go. So, I went about my day, he went about his day, and later on that evening, he got an email from his broker who happened to be working on a Saturday. And she had said, I can't believe this, she said, but the bank has set up all your bank accounts incorrectly and the finance hasn't actually gone through properly. She said, leave it with me, it's going to take a few days, it will sort out, I'll get this sorted probably by Wednesday, but at the moment, we're not where we want to be with this contract. Mm -hmm. And he just looked at me and goes, what a coincidence. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I said, sure, that's what it was. So mm-hmm. so that was my one time, one and only time with him. Now, you mentioned that you created your own cards. So did you take like a tarot deck and make it your own or what did you do? I didn't take a tarot deck because tarot is um, uh, very specific um, and it takes a, a bit to learn the tarot. So I made um, an oracle deck. So it's it's got nothing to do with tarot. It's just basically 40 cards in a deck that um, I, I believe give you very practical and direct answers. I actually call it the practical guidance deck for that reason is you don't have to be a psychic or a medium um, to be able to work them. It's just you ask a question, you shuffle the deck and you pull one card or three and it gives you your answer to your question. And those answers are as simple as, yes, this is the one or no, you shouldn't be doing this or, uh, you know, it's going to take three months. There's a timing card in there um, to contracts, to, to love. Um, so it basically covers a whole variety of different things, but it's pretty, pretty, pretty direct and basic. Have you noticed patterns in your clients? Like most people come to ask about a relationship or a new job yeah. or a move or something. Absolutely. So it's funny how I can do certain days where it won't be the same reading, but the scenario will be the same. So it could be that someone's coming wanting to communicate with their father and it's always the father. It won't be a mum and then a dad and then maybe a brother. It's always the same person, so that's the father. Um, or it could be if they're doing, like, things about their life, it will always be a better relationship. Like, all my clients will want to talk about their relationship that day or all of them will want to talk about having IVF, you know, will this IVF um, procedure work out? So absolutely, it's like the energy um, is attracted in and then everybody comes for that same day. So there are some days where it's really, really uncanny. If we go back to the girl from the airplane and the sister that connected with you, yes. do you think that that woman that had passed had been just walking around the earth for the last 30 years or had she crossed over and come back? I believe that she had crossed over. Um, I don't believe that she had um, been sort of trapped or or sitting between the two worlds. I believe that she had been in the spirit world the whole time. Um, I do believe that she had tried to make contact with other mediums over time to to basically try and get her case solved and to bring a bit of finality um, to her family around the situation. But I believe she basically just ventured back because I was placed at the right place at the right time with the right person Mm -hmm. so i don't think that she was that she's stuck i just think that she came back because she knew that i was going to be able to communicate with her when you communicate with the dead are most people stuck or they just haven't left yet no i don't believe that they're stuck at all i believe that they have gone to the spirit world and that they just come back it just takes them energy to come back for that hour or 45 minutes that i'm working with them to actually communicate with me Mm -hmm. um 
I I've never experienced in any of my readings, which are a lot. I do I do about seven hundred readings a year, and wow. um, so so it's up there. But um, but I've never had an experience where they've seemed trapped. Or, or, or they're definitely not suffering because a lot of the times my clients will ask me, are they okay? Are they in pain anymore? Well, they don't have a physical body. You know, they're not in the physical realm anymore. So there is no suffering in the physical. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but no, I've, I've never experienced that. I believe that they always do go to spirit. And I believe that when they do cross over from what I've seen um, in my readings is that we seem to go through a process of where our karma gets returned and I always say um, uh, karma comes back to us um, more in a feeling so like if we treated people with good intention that feeling that they experienced um, comes back to them and I believe that if we treated people with negative intention that that feeling that they experienced also comes back to them as well so I feel like there is I do believe that there is that process and then they go on and they evolve at different levels they then go on to either um, assist, like I say, they could maybe bring babies back through. Um, they could work with um, uh, assisting in um, animals or, or things like that. Whatever their soul chooses, I believe that they do go in a different direction. But I do believe that they are always able to come back and communicate with us for periods of time. Do you fear death at all? I don't fear um, death, Jeff, not at all. I just don't want to die yet. Mm-hmm. I just think that we've got so much to do here. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I... I wouldn't say that I'm excited to to pass. Um, I, I, I'm not I'm not ready for that. But um, from what um, spirit has shown me, um, it seems like it is a pretty good place. I don't believe that there is a hell, and I know that um, in, a, in a lot of religious um, sectors that there is a belief system of that. And I'm not and I'm not dissing that. But from what I've experienced, I, I, I don't believe that there is. I believe we all go to the same place. I just think that we vibrate at different levels. Do you think anybody can be a psychic? I think everybody has psychic abilities, one hundred percent. So um, it takes if, to be a psychic. It takes a, a certain type of person because you know um, we, get to, we take a lot of criticism. Um, so you've got to be able to get past that a little bit. But I believe everybody has psychic abilities. I believe we've just got to be able to tune in and work out what our strengths are. So for some, it could be that they hear. They hear spirit very clearly. They hear the voices. But what a lot of people have to remember is. That's called, that's called clairaudience. Clairaudience doesn't always come in externally of the ear. It can come in the brain. So a lot of the time we're getting information coming in almost like a thought. But I say to people, especially when I'm teaching um, psychic development, pay attention to what side of your brain that thought is coming in. You know, is it coming from the front? Is it coming from the right? Is it coming from the left? Is it coming from the back? For me, when spirit are trying to communicate to me clairaudiently, it's always coming from my right side. If I get a thought, I know my own thought, I know that it's coming from the front of my mind. You just mm. have to discern what part of your brain it's coming from if you can. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people want to be clairvoyant, which means clear seeing. So they think the only way to communicate with spirit is to see it, but it's not. There is There are other ways. You know, you can be claircognizant where you just know and definitely clairsentient, uh, which is the clear feeling, which I believe everybody has. It's that gut intuition, you know, that gut instinct of something first not being right or I know that I shouldn't take that flight because it's going to get cancelled or I know that that partner's not right for me and you've only been on one date, you know. It's that gut feeling. So I believe that that's where it starts and people can expand it from there. So you mentioned that you teach psychic development. Do you do that online or in person? 
I do it online. Um, I have done it in person before, but I find that um, people seem to do a lot better when I teach it online because in group settings, people tend to get a little bit nervous and they keep judging themselves against the person that's sitting beside them or across from them. So I've, I now teach an online course um, that I've developed where I send out the coursework every week and then it comes back to me and I actually assess it, mark it, and I come back to the student every week during the course um, um, to give them proper feedback as to how they're going, how they're developing, what hits they're getting, what things they're not getting right and what they need to do better. Um, because um, I just find that the nerves seem to go because it's only me that's seeing it. No one else is going to be able to hear it but me. And I get some great stuff. Like I'm, I'm, I'm literally just finishing off uh, marking my last course at the moment. And the names, people are bringing through names. Like these are beginners that have never mm. even done anything like this before. They're getting names of people that have crossed over. Um, there's one lady that I showed a photo. I, I do photo readings in there as well, where I sent out a photo of people that I know that have passed over. And this one woman came back with the person's name, how they died, the age they died. It was just brilliant. So, wow. I, so I prefer to do it online for that reason that I think my students do better with it. After this podcast, people may want to reach out to you to either take your course or hire you as a psychic. Mm -hmm. um, how would they find you? Sure. So they can um, find me on um, uh, probably my website is the best way at the moment. So it's marcodollavalli.com um, is where you can find me. Um, I do have a Facebook page, um, which is um, International Psychic Media Marco Dallavalli as well, or my Instagram page, which is marcodollavalli underscore media. After also watching this podcast, people may just want to reach out to you and ask you questions. Are you a public person and open to that? Absolutely. 100%. I love... More than anything, I love talking to people. So reach out. I'll be more than happy to talk to people. Well, you've got the class and um, you're actually practicing. Is there anything else you've got going on right now that you want us to know about? Um, just just my Oracle deck is the only thing. If anybody is um, looking for a little bit of clarity for themselves and they like reading uh, for themselves and they feel they don't need a psychic um, and they like a little bit of an exercise tool, I always find that um, using a deck is good, which is why I created the Practical Guidance deck. So if anybody likes um, doing Oracle cards, I'm more than happy to, to, to send you out a, a deck and I can talk you through how to use them as well. All right, Marco. Well, before we finish up, do you have one last positive message that you can share with everybody? I always say it's best to live your life the most authentic way possible. We can easily get caught up in our everyday lives and everyday stresses and, and we have the disease to please. And mm -hmm. I don't think that that's good for anybody, including um, those around you. So I always mm -hmm. say try and live your best life that suits you the best way and let everything else around you unfold. Well, that's a great message. And I like that, that slogan you have, the disease to please. Absolutely. I, I, think, remember that. I think a lot of us have it at a different mm -hmm. time. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right, Marco. Well, thank you so much for being my guest. I really appreciate you. I wish you massive success in whatever you're doing and have a great rest of your day over there. Thank you, mate. I hope you have a great week. All right. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.